Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside from the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Andrew Gunling, J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? Uh, slightly humiliated. <laughs> Pride stung. Uh, yeah, I'm. Uh, if anybody wanted to to see me on my knees, uh, like I said, in a, in a compromising position, looking Aye. like a looking like a broken man, it would have been yesterday at soccer, Andrew, where I missed a terrible, terrible chance. A chance that had it happened to a professional footballer in any of the leagues that we covered, I would have ridiculed him forever. Um, a hanging cross. Now, are we talking like Yakubu miss or like Corey Burke for the Union in the 117th minute over the weekend miss? Uh, no, more humiliating than that. Not so much that, oh, he should score, more that, what's happened there? Oh, like you're not good. You might not be good anymore. Uh, was never that good, but this is something I should have done better. I uh, know. Listen, I enjoyed the game. It was tremendous fun, um, but... I want that moment back and I can't stop replaying it in my head. And um, it's psychologically scarring. The ball comes across, Andrew. It hangs in the air. Mm-hmm. And it's about six or seven yards out. And I get under it. And I'm like, oh. And you know the way they say, it? well, took a long time to come down for him as an excuse. That's the only excuse I can muster here. It hung there like an orb and it wouldn't come down. And when it did come down, instead of heading it, uh, we got face. Oh, no. Yeah, face contact. Blood? No, no, no. Oh, okay. Just like cheek. And it just... It's over for you. Limp- just understand that. <laughs> no. Or what are you hanging on to? Nah, I'm hanging on for the good moments, Andrew. The clever passes. When, when do they happen? The incision. How often do those come about? It's just a joy. I, I Coming from where I came from, uh, you know, my herniated disc in August, just in pain on the floor, to be able to run around and play is just great, even if it does bring added and new humiliations to my life. What a podcast this is going to be. Uh, I'm a little nervous for it. This is a big one. It is a big one. We say and goodbye. I, we, we, we do, and I should say we're going to talk about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at length because, of course, he has uh, been sacked as manager of Manchester United. And I should tell you specifically that a lot of our audience, we do have a lot of United fans that listen to this podcast. Uh, I have heard from some, and they're nervous, not about me, they're nervous about you and how you're going to handle this. If you're going to, if you're going to handle it with, with class and professionalism, or are we going to have to be worried about you? There's no reason to be worried. Why would there be a reason to be worried? You've, the- been, you've been very, very negative. I've seen your tweets. I haven't. Sc- did I screenshot some of them? No, I didn't. I came unprepared. <laughs> but I've seen a lot of them from both the show account and your personal account. Oh, yeah. And I think United fans are worried that you, you're not going to be able to talk about this in a in an impartial way. Well, I suppose I have been impartial all the way through. Mm-hmm. Completely impartial. And I've told them, and a lot of them just wouldn't accept it. And they, they called me bitter, they called me whatever, mm-hmm. that this you know manager wasn't the right guy for the job. But it was, it was like obvious. It's been obvious for two and a half years that he wasn't the right guy for the job. And... Um, and so I'm not going to do I told you so, even though that's kind of... <laughs> oh, my God. That, that's kind I, of me. Ah, no, no, no. Uh, no, we, we will be completely... We will talk about this in a in a in normal... Uh, what's the word? Distanced fashion. We won't get overly emotional. But um, this, isn't, this isn't a shock to anyone. I shouldn't be. No, no. And I think a lot of people were... They wished this to work out 
so hard that it kind of calcified in their brains that everything he was doing was leading them somewhere. And it really wasn't. We'll talk a lot about that in, in seconds. But I should tell you also coming up on this podcast, we're going to talk about uh, other things that happened in Europe over the weekend. Uh, some big games, Liverpool, Arsenal, uh, Chelsea extend or keep their lead atop the table. Uh, the Xavi era getting underway at Barcelona. However, the Sergio Aguero era, as short as it was, seemingly coming to an end uh, in really unfortunate circumstances. So we will talk about him, pay a little tribute to uh, one of the all-time greats. MLS postseason off and running in breathless fashion. What an unbelievable day it was at Subaru Park in Chester, Pennsylvania. We've got a mailbag as well with some good questions that I've seen here. Uh, Some from the Reddit page, it appears. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. But, JJ, we go back to, of course, the big story uh, in the world of soccer right now, and that is Ole out at Manchester United. And, you know, I was thinking about his time. We'll get into legacy and all that stuff, but almost as a jumping off point, I was thinking about his time at United. And we're going to, I'm going to date myself a little bit here. I'm not that old, but like, you remember Tetris, right? Yeah. You play Tetris, of, of course. course. Like, I'm sure a lot of people listening. But like, I wonder if people under the age of 20 are aware of what Tetris is. Not was. a chance. Probably not. No hope. Um, but I was thinking about Ole's time at United, like I think about a game of Tetris, where like you're going along and, and the board is clear and you're good. Then you make one mistake, and suddenly the board is filling up fast, and you're like, oh my God, where's the long piece? I need the long piece. Oh. And you get it. And you get it. And you get a little reprieve. Okay, but now the board is like up a little bit higher than it was before, and it's like getting faster faster towards the top, and you get that piece again. And you go, oh, a reprieve. And you get it again and again, but each time the board is getting a little closer to the top, and finally you just run out of room and that was Ole that was his entire time at United where it just kept getting to the brink to the brink to the brink and then I mean what did they have like a 20 game unbeaten run like they've had multiple unbeaten runs that followed these periods where it was like oh I don't think Ole's it and then they do just enough to keep their fans engaged in this manager and believe that okay maybe this can be the guy but ultimately he ran out of room he did run out of room, and tactically, he was never with enough Tetris room, Andrew. You're, you're, you're talking about Tetris. It's like anything. There was, or there needs to be a plan, and there there really wasn't. Um, and and we, we saw that this season. I, I tried to warn people last season that the second place finish was, it, it was a mirage. It wasn't real. It was... It was something that if you watch the performances, you would still be concerned. If you watch just how far off Manchester City were, were, they were, you would be concerned. And if you saw how Liverpool in the end kind of snuck up on them and only finished, what was it, two wins, six points or something off them, when Liverpool should have been blown out of the water if United were in a title race. And you, like you said, you expected them to kick on. There was a point in January or February where you th- they could have gone top. Or, or they did go top and they should have stayed top, but... It never happened. They couldn't do it. There was... It's, it's, when we watched Maurizio Pochettino take over at Tottenham and Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool, there was a... Over a period of time, but almost, almost instantly in both cases, you saw something. And you could say, this is what they're trying to do. I never got to that point with Solskjaer. Never. Except that at one point... It was like, we'll be defensively sound, which he got them to be for a little bit. Mm. Not recently. I mean, con- 
Uh, on a consistent basis, I don't know. No, but they. But like we said, they had these runs where you thought, oh, like look at them. They're they're winning. They're they're you know they're getting results every game. Yeah, you know they got better defensively for like like you said with your grunt for a little bit, but they never even really nailed being a good counterattacking team. Uh, but every now and again, he would get that result. His results against City. And for a while against Liverpool and, and other teams like that were good. And it kind of kept you, well, kept United fans thinking there was something at the end of this. But it, it there really wasn't. It was more like, how many good players can I get onto the field and we'll see what happens. <laughs> there was no real, real solid method of play. And all the top teams have that. Chelsea have it. Liverpool have it. City, uh, of course. City, of course. So... Yeah, um, he finally stumbled into a run of form that he just couldn't survive. Manchester United have gone one five and one over the last seven games, including, and this is where I, why I grunted the defense. They've allowed four or more goals in three of their last five. Well, I, in fairness, a lot of what happens in front of the in front of the defensive unit dictates how it's going to go for the defensive unit. Like, so if you've got Fred and McTominay and it's not working out in midfield, then that. That defence is going to come under inordinate pressure. You should also say that Shaw and Maguire since the summer have just hit the buffers. It's been a disaster for them. Mm-hmm. And and there's not much Solskjaer can really do about that. And his key centre-back uh, that he's bought in to really shore things up, Varane, hasn't been available for a lot of those games. That's a problem too. And Aaron Wambasaka is not up to it. Put that all together and you're going to have a serious, serious problem. But he was never the right manager, Andrew. And the inquest at Manchester United should be, how did they end up giving this guy so many years at the helm and so many missed opportunities to get someone else in and rebuild the club? And the people asking that question are the people who appointed him and they're the people who ultimately appoint the next manager. So I don't expect a lot of introspection here from United. Yeah, and kind of along those lines, I believe, I mean, the way this played out, I really believe that they... They did not want this to happen. Like, I mean, they gave this guy, I think, like if he, if he had been sacked, you know, a few games ago, I think we all would have understood it. Certainly after the Liverpool game, um, I think that they really, really were hoping that he would turn it around. That they that this day would not have to arrive. Worse than that, Andrew, and worse for the future of the club is that they didn't see it coming. They did not see this coming. I was listening to Mark Critchley on another podcast today, a friend of our pod here, and he was saying that the alarm bells only really started after the defeat at Leicester. That's that's only a few weeks ago. That's, that's not good. Why weren't there alarm bells after Gdansk? You know, that was a trophy there for the winning against Villarreal. $350 million has gone into your squad, and it was a mess from beginning to end, that game. I, I think he should have gone then. He should have gone with the way they finished the season, with the decisions he made in that week with the rescheduled Liverpool and Leicester game. And they left him there because they didn't see what was going wrong. Gary Neville didn't. I heard Neville today saying, you know, the way they just, you know, they seemed to be progressing last season. It was progression of a sort. It was a league table progression. But you couldn't tell me that this team was developing or progressing into an identity that you could say, that's OGS. That football there is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Yeah, speaking to what you just said there, I think I can forgive them for not firing him at the end of last season. You can say what you want about 
runner-up being a mirage. But the fact of the matter is they were second in the table. Right. You are what your record says you are. And Manchester City, no one was going to be better than them. They're ridiculous. So, you know, a season that ended with them finishing second and, I mean, should a guy be punished because he – like if they had lost in just like the semifinals, would you have felt Which they that did way? the season before. But I'm saying – but like – should he be punished more because he lost in a cup final? Yeah, because when you dig into the details, the substitutions in that game, Andrew, the way things worked out generally. But a season that, well, I don't know. I can't. Get, getting I, to a, a cup final and, and finishing second in the league, I can understand why they would not make a move to fire You know what? I, I, I will speak to your point. They let him go that far. <laughs> so that would have been a weird time to then decide, you know what, he isn't, he's not it. Yeah, that would have been <laughs> a weird one. They let him go that far. And, and to be fair, that. The home support, the traveling support, were still on his side. Yes. So the club, and we know how we've discovered in the last month how they check social media trends, how attuned they are to how the fan base feels. They probably said, let's let this ride out some longer and see what happens. But yeah. I, I, you could always see this coming. And then when Ronaldo comes in, it changes the dynamic further because he's got to integrate this player into the team he can't be dropped and even though you see Ronaldo's league form just fall off a cliff as the clubs has and then what do you do? He, in some ways they gave Solskjaer a lot of time which was good for Solskjaer but it was never ever going to be good for the club uh, One thing you mentioned Ronaldo uh, I do think that, you know, you mentioned Maguire and Shaw as well, Juan Bissaka. I do think the players, like, we would be kind of almost bereft in our duties in talking about this if we did not place blame also on the players. Like, I look at, you know, I look, okay, what has gone on this season that has taken this team from second last year and instead of kicking on when seemingly they should, given the fact that, you know, they've added talented players to the squad, what has happened here that has caused them to go in this direction? Mm. And I do think manager and and whatever shortcomings he has tactically, put that aside for a sec. I do think injuries have started to hit them. I do think that some of their players who play who went deep with England at the Euros starting to feel it, like we talked about with Sean Maguire. I think that has hurt them in some way. I think, you know, you can talk about Ronaldo's form, fine. Um, he's also carrying them to a certain extent. In but, the Champions League in yeah, particular. But how are we how are we not going to talk about Bruno Fernandez who Hasn't had a shot on target in two hours. Like, what's going on? And he, you know, and you look at all of United's previous successes since Bruno Fernandes got there. I mean, hell, in the season when he was bought at, at midway through the season, he was one of the, the players of the year. In just those few months that he, he was there with the impact that he made for them. So for a player of that level of importance to suddenly just kind of disappear from an effectiveness standpoint, like, he's got to own some of that too. Well, he did. There was that amazing... Another, another lengthy apology? Well, no. Uh, <laughs> this time it was face-to-face with the travelling fans. So Solskjaer, after... We, we talked about humiliations earlier. Like, getting hammered by Watford. I mean, if he went out on his if he went out on his shield or on his sword or whatever the phrase is against Liverpool, you could say, well, it was against... You can't accept that against the, the, your great rival. But against to get trashed by Watford then is another level. Solskjaer seemed to know it was over. And he was getting all the players over to, to clap the away fans and he got some abuse from the some pockets of the away support of course mm-hmm. and Fernandez emerges and goes points at him and goes no he makes that don't don't shout at him gesture shout at us the players 
It was it was kind of remarkable to see it. Um, but that's all. I mean, we've heard it from Maguire. You know, the players have to take responsibility, etc. Okay, but you know, ultimately, you cannot. And they well, they know it. You cannot get rid of a squad of 30, 25 players. No, of course There's not. Always but, but it doesn't change the fact that they that they own they have to own this as well. But they do. okay, so so once they they've been owning it now for for months, really. And even last season when things didn't work out, they're they're always the first to own it. They really do own it. Owning they own all of it. But nothing ever changes with them now. And and I think Well, but in some ways things did change. I mean, okay, these players like for whatever reason they're not playing up to the level that we think they should be playing at. So United went out and they they bought players that we thought would help. Well, some people thought you maybe not quite as much, mm. but you know, adding Varane, adding Ronaldo, adding Jadon Sancho. I mean, like this that was kind of United's way of saying, "Okay, you guys own that you're not that this isn't good enough. So we're going to bring in guys that are good enough." And I think for me that was the breaking point with Solskjaer because okay, the players can continue to maybe not perform up to their level of what we expect, but like I said on our on our preview podcast before the season even started, even before they had signed Ronaldo, uh, I remember looking at that squad and thinking, "Well, if not now, when?" For yeah, Solskjaer? and we did. I mean, there's just the level of talent here. Like, if you're a United fan, well, uh, I'm conflicted in saying this because you're not you're not alone in the way you feel about Ronaldo and the fit with this team. But if you're a United fan that has been fiercely defendant, uh, fiercely defensive of Solskjaer. Mm. I mean, I just don't know how you can continue to look at this squad and see the quality of players that they have. I mean, this is like, like if this team was wearing Real Madrid shirts, you'd be saying like, well, that should, they should win the Champions League. Look at look at the play, look at the names on that team. Like they have that kind of squad. Well, over and the so la- for them, what are they eighth right now in the in the league? Seventh or eighth? So, yeah, and like you said, just got smashed by Watford. Like it's it's just it just became an untenable position. You're right, and and especially when Donny Van de Beek comes the becomes the focal point for fans cheering his name. He scores the last goal of the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer regime. There's something. I mean, he was a poster boy for the failed transfers. Although I think Jaden Sancho even more so because this is a guy that had been pursued all the way through the Solskjaer regime, mm. and to get him and then not to know what to do with him or to see his form fall off, I don't know which one it is. I, I suspect it's that they didn't know exactly how to play him properly. Is just that's a hundred million between the two those two players mentioned, just sat on the bench, and even when they come on play, they don't really make an impact. Yeah, we haven't even talked about Pogba. Um, you know how United has just been unable to get out of him what France is able to get out of him, and I suppose what Juventus was able to get out of him prior to him coming to Manchester United. They just have not been able to consistently unlock that in him whenever this stuff happens we always ask the question is it fair is it fair we've kind of answered that I mean he's been there for a long time but David Moyes wasn't fair David Moyes got a seven-year contract and he saw eight months of it you can you we can we can parse through how that was not fair and even then with them about to miss out in Champions League football it became clear he had to go and he wasn't the right one yeah Ollie got nearly three years that was the only for a guy with no CV like yeah. nothing. The only reason I even raise it as a question, or, or I was almost considering not even putting it on the rundown, because like you said, he's been there long enough, yeah. and we just talked about the level of talent. The only reason I bring it up is because of what you have been saying for months now, and that is they went ahead and they bought this albatross in Cristiano Ronaldo that doesn't fit, or if he does fit, he makes other people suddenly not not fit. fit yeah. Um, 
That's the only reason I ask. I don't know that Solskjaer, you know, I'm not in those meetings. You're not in those meetings. We don't know if he wanted Ronaldo. My guess is they came to him and said, hey, we're thinking of doing this. And he'd be, I can't really picture him saying to the board of Manchester United in a position when he's already kind of on shaky ground. It's hard for me to picture him standing up to them saying, no, don't you, don't bring in Cristiano Ronaldo to this, to this I'm team. I'm telling the real boss. Who, <laughs> right. oh, Sir Alex? It's Sir Alex. Yeah. The, telling him no. Are, are telling Rio Ferdinand, who's been sticking his oar in for the last few months. So I, I have to assume that Solskjaer in some way signed off on that and, and did express in some way that he wanted that. Mm. Um, whether or not he, he genuinely felt that way or not, only he'll know. Uh, but that's the only reason I asked the question, because they went out and they did something that was, that was so massive to, the, to whatever structure, whatever it is he was trying to build there, and such a diversion from whatever that might have been, that it, it, it at least bears asking the question of whether or not that was fair to him to, to suddenly do that. Yeah. I, the, the only real kind of tactical nugget you got from Solskjaer early on, about not tactical, but vision that you got early on, was him talking about you know Rashford, Mason Greenwood, having a young attack, a more lively three-pronged approach. And then when you saw Ronaldo come in, you thought, well, how does any of that work now? And I could have seen Sancho, Greenwood, Rashford in some kind of a triumvirate up front with Bruno yeah. Fernandes in behind. Absolutely. Never came to fruition. Well, Rashford was also hurt. And by the way, since he came back, he was effective for them. I mean, mm. he had scored in a few games upon his return. Yeah, I thought that was the plan. And then you realize maybe there isn't that much of a plan at all when Cristiano Ronaldo rocks back to Old Trafford. Uh, Ronan Mullen tweeted this, which I thought was interesting. Was at a conference a couple of years ago where Manchester United's faceless PR rep said they want to be the Netflix of football. If that is the case, then Roy Keane is the only man for the interim role. He'd do bigger numbers than Tiger King and Stranger Things combined. What does that mean, they want to be the Netflix of football? Well, um, I don't know really what that means, but again, we have discovered from the... Like the, the preeminent brand? The, is, that, is Netflix like this in, from a... I don't know. The don't preeminent know. story, the story that you're plugged into. Barney Roney made the made the point that there's probably PR people at United, or not PR people, but social media people who are absolutely delighted with the last few months because engagement has been there. It's like United are two entities and one is working brilliantly as a brand, as a story generator, as an interest point for for United fans and non-United fans alike. All those things are working. As a story generator, yes. The football I don't know, side I don't know isn't if this working. Helps their brand. Uh, oh, I think it. I mean, their I don't, brand. Their brand is is their success brand, their, and glory and trophies. This ha, is the opposite of that. Yeah, but, but that's the football component. And I think, uh, as Ken Early made the point two weeks ago, he said they're going to lose the 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 thing that keeps the whole show on the road, which is winning and success. That's what it. That's what it's been since 1986 until 2013, and now we're in the fallow, the fallow years. Solskjaer's legacy at United. Hmm. Um, I kind of I hope that once, you know, once people kind of remove themselves from this season or, or even more micro than that, the, this run of games where it's gotten ugly, um, you know, you see, like, once you lose, once you lose, lose Mark Goldbridge, JJ, you, you lose the nation. I mean, he was he had riled up a sect of United supporters fiercely against Solskjaer. United fans turning on United. The fans, online fans, the, the ones who never go to a game. But like just <laughs> in general, though, like the 
you know, I, I saw it a little bit with the Mourinho era at Tottenham, how toxic it can turn within yeah. uh, within a fan base that is conflicted among itself. That had happened at United with the pro Solskjaer crowd versus anti Solskjaer crowd. You know, it got it got very ugly and dirty. You know, and like you said, you know, Solskjaer going up to the the traveling supporters and, and being screamed at by you know this is a legend who scored one of the biggest goals in the club's history. Um, it got ugly there. I wonder if once people remove themselves from this this month period of time what his legacy will be because the only reason I say that it's it's not entirely fair to to kind of just say like oh failure look this was Sir Alex has left and like United have run through managers and it hasn't really worked with any of them I mean some of them have had varying degrees of success Carling you know Carling Cups or Carabao Cups or whatever um, but like ultimately United have not been really anywhere close to what they were under Sir Alex Ferguson. No. Uh, and so some of that is like, you know, Solskjaer inherited what was a bit of a, a mess from previous regimes. Certainly. I, I think when you talk legacy, he came in at a at a way worse time than what we saw at the weekend in terms of the mood around the club after Mourinho. And he made the fans happy and he the players seemed to like him. Mm-hmm. And that can't be understated that he was for what he was or what he should have been he was a brilliant bridging manager and a guy who could put a smile on the face of people and he lifted the mood of the club that's not I don't think that's up for debate everything that happened after that first four month period is is signs of a club in drift so what I would say is his legacy is he came in he kind of detoxified the Mourinho era got the club on a, on a better, more solid footing. I think he drafted in and put faith in younger, younger players. I think Mason Greenwood coming to the fore under, under his tutelage was, was something. Mm. Uh, he got Bruno Fernandes to the club where they, they had failed in big signings in the past, like identified signings that they really wanted, including Jaden Sancho was a failure at that point. They, they hadn't captured him, but they got Bruno Fernandes. They got it over the line. And he's, he was a key part of, the key part of Solskjaer's good times, however short they or brief they were. But that's it, Andrew. There's no more to it than that, unfortunately. There is no more legacy than that. Uh, that is it. Um, you saw other players going to decline while he was there. Um, the goalkeeper in particular, who is, you, you, you'd wonder if, if, if a new manager, whoever that may be coming in, isn't looking to get this guy off the wage bill as quick as possible. He was abject at the weekend again. And, um, and his post-match was pretty stark as well, where he basically said, this is a team who doesn't know what it's doing. Um, but that's, that's all you can give him in legacy. Isn't he the longest well, serving Manchester United manager or he's had the he's had the longest term without a win, without a cup of some sort. Like Van Hal had one, Mourinho had one. Moyes obviously didn't. But he was not there very long. No. United's tied with Chelsea for third most points in the Premier League since Solskjaer took over. Only Liverpool and City have been more successful. Not terrible. That's a reason. Liverpool and City are right now in their moment like this is I, I yeah and I, again you but like you said about the start of this season and even last season you look at the players that he has he's had at his disposal you would you would think that they will beat most of the teams more often than not that they play that are below the upper echelons of the Premier League it's, yeah. it's not about that though you know that is a, that is such a that it's 
in some ways, it's the right way to look at it. In another way, it is not a long-term way and it doesn't tell you of real progress and real um, planning. I guess I just wonder what happens to him now. Like you said, okay, he took over at Manchester United without any real CV and all of a sudden, this is yours now. Like You're now in charge of <laughs> yeah. arguably the biggest, second biggest club in the world. Well, okay, so that was then. But like now he does have a... It's, it's hard. He's so linked to United. It's hard for me to picture him... You know, going to like a Newcastle or um, you know a Burnley. Is there or any other Premier League team that would take him? Like right now, no. He feels sadly again. This is what I mean by legacy. Sadly, right now he feels toxic to me because of just like how loud the noise has been around the end of his tenure there. But I think ultimately that noise will die down. He's gonna manage again. Like he didn't do badly enough here, where I would say this guy should not be able to he he has to go to you know the championship or back to Norway uh, to re-earn he, he it. He relegated Cardiff and a few years later he got the Manchester United job. <laughs> that is an unbelievable trajectory and I don't think it'll be replicated anywhere. Adam Hurry tweeted that he didn't it was so hard for him to say what kind of manager Solskjaer was like or where or even predict or project where he might end up. Maybe, I can't figure it out either. Yeah. I mean like oftentimes these guys, yeah, well, what did he, we, we talk about this this group of managers that it's like this. They once you get to a club like United, even if you get fired, you're in the club now. Like you you get recycled through United, then maybe you go to Juve or Inter, then maybe you wind up at PSG or what. Like I don't think Ole, even though he's been at United for this amount of time, I don't think he's in that club. He's not. He's in not. That go, club. He's not going to you know Barcelona or, or no, a club like that. But, but he's, he may not be going to it. It, maybe there's a team in the championship would give him a run, but I don't think there's a team in the Premier League that would. Think of Eddie Howe, Andrew. What's the difference between Solskjaer and Howe? Just just as a as a thought experiment. What's the difference between them? Yeah, I mean age, uh... building though. Like whatever you say about Eddie Howe, you you know exactly how Eddie Howe teams played. We've watched them. We saw how he built what he built at Bournemouth. There was a style of play and a thing that was Eddie Howness. And that's how he basically hasn't managed since Bournemouth. And then he just walks into the Newcastle job. He gets the Newcastle job. Um, and he nearly had the Celtic job too. There is a, uh, you know, a style of play, something that you can say is is Eddie Howe. I can't say that about Solskjaer. So Big Sam, what does Big Sam has a... Whatever you may think of him, he has his style of play. He has a way of operating that is very much Big Sam. Solskjaer leaves United with those questions unanswered, and that's why it's probably harder for him to get a job. He may go back to Norway and and, and take over with another team there. Mm. Maybe Mulder will have him back. Don't know. I would think they would. But this is the absurdity of his signing in the first place, of giving him, you know, re-upping his contract and giving him the keys to the biggest club in the world. Who would make that decision? Yeah. No, you're right. It was strange then, and uh, in some ways I'm a little surprised it lasted as long as it did. That's the ultimate legacy, is that the people at the top of Manchester United do not know what they are doing. So what now? Moving on from the Solskjaer part of it. I saw this, so JJ, I saw this from Rob Dawson at ESPNFC. He said Manchester United um, planned to make Mike Phelan the caretaker manager following the dismissal of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer on Sunday, but eventually decided against the move after fearing a backlash from supporters, sources have told ESPN. Well, I can say that. I've so heard... they wound up going with Michael Carrick, who's a far more popular figure among supporters. Right, but not apparently. That coaching team is not 
apparently that popular amongst the players right now. There were complaints from the players. I wonder which ones. Senior pros, who would that? Who might that be? Maguire, Ronaldo, Fernandez, who were saying they weren't happy with the coaching that was being done under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. So Michael Carrick is now the interim to the interim. So they announced that Michael Carrick will now take charge of the team for forthcoming games while the club looks to appoint an interim manager to the end of the season. So unless Pochettino or somebody is wrenched from PSG, there's going to be another placeholder in until they get to the summer and can figure this thing out. So you don't think it would be Carrick the rest of the way? That's my impression. That's not what they're saying. Michael Carrick will now take charge of the team for the forthcoming games while the club looks to appoint an interim. Carrick's not even an interim. He is the assistant to the assistant to the regional manager. That's very highly unusual. Very it's strange. in the statement. Um, I just worry when I see things like United making decisions, uh, quoting here again from Rob Dawson, fear, quote, fearing a backlash from supporters. Like, when you start, when your decision-making now becomes dictated and compromised by what you think supporters will say, like, uh, would supporters have been that outrage just to hear that Mike Phelan was going to be the interim? Like, no one's saying that Mike Phelan is going to be appointed as the new Ma- Manchester United manager just as an interim. United fans would have lost their <laughs> they don't trust, over that. They don't trust what these guys will do. I, I agree with you. On the face of it, he was a, an able deputy to Sir Alex Ferguson for a while. Um, he's an ex-player. Okay, his own foray into management with the whole city didn't go very well, but so what? Okay. Yeah. I just, I don't know. Don't I, forget- I start seeing stuff like that and I just worry about that, about how decisions are being made. That's the Netflix club. They're worried about what things are trending toward. By the way, what was your thoughts on the exit interview, which I've never seen in football I've before? never seen it. Uh, I don't know if I've seen it in any sport. You're talking about Manchester well, United tweeting out a video of Solskjaer after he had been sacked yeah. on the club Twitter account. Yeah. Basically, well, we have it here. Yeah, let's have a listen to a segment because I think the full video was 12 minutes long. Yeah, this is just a, about a minute of it. You're going to be watching clearly, Oli. So, what would you say to the players ahead of you know another big game, which is just a couple of days away? In no, Villarreal? it's as I've I've, I've said to them uh, this morning as well. You know, trust yourself. You know, we're we're better than this. We we we've not been able to show it, but go out, chest out, enjoy being a Man United player, Champions League, the biggest stage. If and when you win the game, you're through to the next round. Michael's going to be in charge. Michael's. I've got the utmost respect. He's, I, I love Michael to bits. Becoming emotional now because he's top. And um, nah, that's um, they'll be they'll be fine. I'll I'll watch them and support them. I mean, you're always going to be welcome at Old Trafford. <laughs> you know well, that. Well, I hope so. I hope so. Anyway. Well, it's been brilliant dealing with you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. See you soon. Uh, it breaks your heart, though. You, you can just have nothing, only sympathy for him. The rights and the wrongs, I was very against this yesterday. I saw it and I thought, this club has lost the run of itself. Don't make him do this. Now, we, we heard that he there's requested... N- there's to- no way they would make him do that. There, hmm. That would only happen if he... If I, either A, they asked him to and he said sure, or B, he wanted to. So it's one of those two. I think the first one is unacceptable. He shouldn't be asking him, even if he wants to do it. But the second, if he said he wanted to, okay. And the more I see it, the less, I was, the less I'm annoyed by it, um, because the humanity of the man comes out in it. And I think it's, it's in everyone's best interest for, the, for a legend of the club to part amicably. And, you know, like his... his 
things he's done for that club are are just like so inextricably linked with this with their history. Yeah. Um, so I I think that you know the fans who were fiercely against him at the end. I don't think it's such a bad thing to try to get everyone back in the okay. You know he he this didn't work out, but we still love you. I'm, I think that's I think that's all right, and I think that's what they're trying to do. Yeah, right? it did it did I did watch it and just feel sorry for him. You just really feel sorry for him. And in another way, maybe it feels like a weight's being lifted, but you hear him get emotional yeah. there. And um yeah. Well this whole I'm sure this whole experience has been emotional, but you know, clearly he's got love for Michael Carrick. I don't nothing about that felt fake to me. I mean that that felt real. Also, this is his last involvement with the club at that level. You know, his playing career didn't finish the way he wanted it to at United with injuries. Still a club legend. He came back and I'm sure he thought it must have been a dream at times to wake up and be the Manchester United manager rolling into Carrington. And and now that's over and it'll never happen again. And I'm sure that for someone who's relatively young is, is difficult. Uh, for the next manager, you mentioned Pochettino. It feels like he's the leader in the clubhouse right now. Obviously, he's at PSG, which complicates things. Yeah. Um, the you're, summer you're, might be the move for the. You're hearing stories about Pochettino not really enjoying his time at PSG, which is kind of easy to believe. I could, yeah, s- I could I think see so. that being the case, uh, and that United would be a club that he would be interested in in managing. Um, I think it would be good. I think it'd be a good move for Manchester United. Whatever manager it is, Andrew, it's got to be someone who is going to like attack. It's going to annoy United fans to hear this, but he's got to be someone like. Pochettino was at Spurs, who built the club and changed the whole culture. And didn't it wasn't just the first team, it was everything around it. Mm-hmm. And Klopp. These these are what you need now. And those managers are really hard to get. And in the case of Manchester United, Pochettino has to be given free reign. If you if you sign him, you have to back him and you have to allow him to to dismantle and disrupt and change and move all the parts of the entire footballing side of things at the club. Another uh, another name being linked, as is going to be the case with any preeminent job that becomes available right now, Eric Ten Hag from Ajax. You, that that noise you hear, JJ, that's Donny van de Beek saying a little prayer right now, bedside, hoping that it happens. <laughs> 100%. Again, who doesn't like the way he sets his teams up? Who yeah. doesn't? But will they give him the free reign, like I said, to to completely change the culture and do whatever he wants. And that is why I wanted to read you this from Simon Stone at the BBC about why they didn't go for Antonio Conte, who was the name. I think everyone, I think everyone assumed that that Conte wanted that it. That was going to happen. It didn't. He's at Spurs. That's over and done with. This is from Simon Stone. He says the feeling was Conte would be too difficult to manage, and the scars from the conflict that uh, that categorized the latter part of Jose Mourinho's time at Old Trafford remain. Uh, look. Again, if they are they're making decisions based on things like what sort of supporter backlash they'll get, what manager can we bring in that will be easy for us to manage? Are these the right ways to come about your decision making? No, no, no they're doesn't not. feel like it. Not no. to me. I mean, and stuff like that would worry me. I mean, look, if it winds up, maybe Pochettino they deem as somebody who's easy. Look, Antonio Conte, I could see that. Poch isn't that easy to manage, but he's probably easier than Conte. We saw the way things. He's Oh my God! Watching Tottenham and Leeds over this is a emotional human being, which is sometimes great, sometimes not. Uh, so I could see why they would feel that way. But again, if you're trying to win, I don't know that that's the right 
way to go about your decision making. Uh, I just don't. What? Let's do another thought experiment. There's imagine it's a different timeline. The timeline's got messed up, Andrew. Mm-hmm. And there's a cocky young manager who's just won the Scottish League uh, with Aberdeen, and he's broken up the old firm Monopoly. Mm-hmm. His name is Alec Ferguson. With those criteria in place that we assume United are are trying to hire their manager with, would Ferguson get a look in the current era? <laughs> no. No. Probably not. Probably not. Sometimes you need to let a guy in and just take over. I agree. From everything from the chef to the training ground to where the reserves train to the gym to the towels, everything. you got to let it happen. And there's so few of those transformative managers out there that when you do go to hire one, you can't waste time trying to control them. Uh, And then I wanted to read you this. Uh, This is a real sentence that was written in a real publication. Again, Simon Stone in his article at the BBC. I'm not criticizing the man who wrote it. He's crushing it right now. I'm not criticizing the man who wrote it. I'm just criticizing the words that that are are being reported here. Come on. Simon Stone of the BBC Steve Bruce has been mentioned, but despite being a former United skipper, his last months at Newcastle as Newcastle manager are unlikely to inspire optimism among fans. I would, uh, I'm not having to go at... Uh, this is a real thing. I wouldn't have put that in the article. <laughs> I wouldn't have put it in the article. I really wouldn't. And I don't mean to be disrespectful to Steve Bruce, but if they're worried about fan metrics and reactions, Steve Bruce is not the one you want to bring in. As much as he is beloved by certain sections of the United um, fan group no anybody, I, I don't anybody even, under the age of 35 would have a mini would, would have a meltdown a complete meltdown i don't think we even need to analyze it i was uh i went to see the french dispatch um oh you would on friday oh you were probably in your heaven i think wes anderson may be coming to the end of the line with this current way of making movies but i did enjoy it because i do like the quirks of it mm-hmm. and the editor is bill murray and he's constantly saying i want you to take out this paragraph and he you know if I was the Bill Murray in this scenario with Simon Stone, I'm like, don't put that in. <laughs> don't. You're bending credulity here. Um, last question on this uh, before we move on. For United, can this season be salvaged? And if so, what does that look like exactly? Uh, it can be salvaged. They've got enough talent to do it. The worry the is... The league is lost. I, I firmly believe that. Think- that's that's <laughs> over. That's done. I think so. So it's, is it top four and a deep top, Champions League run? Top four, cup, uh, whatever cup is available. Um, Champions League maybe... Oh, you know what? They could win the Champions League. It's a cup competition where they've got Maybe. a goal scorer par excellence who can pull games out of the fire. He's the other problem as well. Um, By the way, I just want to say right now, let's say, I don't know, you're talking about the interim to the interim, but let's say that Michael Carrick does in fact remain manager for the rest of the season. And what we're talking about, this can the season be salvaged? They do. Fi- it, do- it is salvaged. They finish top four and they do make a deep Champions League run. Are we going to be back where we were with Oli, where a guy with very little CV has done just enough to make everyone think, oh, club legend, Michael's we got something here. Michael's at the wheel. Uh, are, they going to, are they going to let him go and bring in someone else if they do those those things? I can't really speak to the common sense of anybody at that club right now. <laughs> so I don't know what will happen. I, I, but but it is salvageable. Of course it's salvageable. My, my, my concern is, though, that if those reports are right, that senior players weren't happy with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's staff, I mean, Solskjaer didn't take the, the sessions. As I understand it, he was the manager. And it was Carrick and Phelan and um, 
I think Darren Fletcher came in towards the end as well. If they weren't happy with that, then nothing has changed. Those guys are still the guys who will be taking the sessions and taking the training and picking the team. So we might not see the new manager Carrick bump here. Or we might. Don't know. Lot to be considered, Andrew. Who's going to be the interim? Like, well, Carrick. Oh, you mean the interim to the 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 Carrick's inter- the interim to the interim. The interim to the interim. The 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 full interim. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't quite understand why it just wouldn't just be give, him. I guess they. Yeah, well, he's part of the old the old guard, the Ole guard. It's a well-run club, Andrew. A well-run club. As the world turns. Well, look, if they want to be the Netflix, if that means, you know, the story is us, then they even with Oli out and for anybody who thought, oh, well, things will die down now. Nah, not with them. They're just one of those clubs, you know. They're the biggest. There's, al- there's always a spotlight on them. And they're, they're always, even when they're not good, they're still interesting. They are one of a few elite clubs that are narrative setters in European and world football. We move on, JJ, elsewhere around Europe. We'll stay in England. Uh, the top three in the Premier League continue to kind of, I think, distance themselves from the competition, especially with West Ham losing over the weekend. Um, Liverpool, they cruise again. Uh, there was a small patch maybe early in this game when it felt like, okay, we, this could be an interesting game, and it just, boy, it spiraled so quickly. Liverpool have the ability to do that. I thought that Arsenal were good. They were tight. They were compact for about, I don't know, most of the first half. But once it got away from them, it got away fast. Now, albeit... So they conceded a late goal. It was in, it was increasingly being left to uh, Ramsdale to make a lot of saves. And eventually the dam was going to break. But for me, the second goal is the key goal. Like Tavares blindly passing. You can't do that. No. You've got to deny Liverpool the turnover. It's like they're, like we always say, it's like they're number 10. Diogo Jota has a lot to do and he does it so well. Send, sells Ben White off down the river and then goes around the keeper and scores. And after that, Andrew, it was a, it was a mess. Um, Liverpool were, I really loved the third goal. The ball from Alisson, Tamikas flicks the header on and then it's a guided header from Jota to put Mane in and he centres for Salah. I'm not, I, I'm, Liverpool fans, don't take me the wrong way. It was a very good performance after the first goal, but you have to factor in how Arsenal just crumbled. And it's not like they haven't done that before at at Anfield. I wouldn't like to see their goals against record at Anfield since Brendan Rodgers. Since 13-14, I don't think it would be very good. It would be horrifying. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I don't want to talk down Liverpool, but at the same time, Arsenal just played into their hands. Sometimes just put your foot through the ball. And, you know, we were just talking about that with Arsenal. Like we were just praising them that the, maybe the biggest thing that's changed with them this year to some of their previous years is that they're not not—they're just not making the David Luiz mistake anymore. But uh, there he but, was. But in this game, they did. Yeah, they did. And it, he'd done so well. He'd won the ball off Trent Alexander-Arnold in the corner, and he's driving out with it. Mm-hmm. If there's nothing on, and he just he doesn't look. It's so careless. Flicks it inside, and Jota cannot believe it. Just can't believe it. His luck, um, and that that was that was the key one for me because there was no way back then, and um, yeah, Liverpool deservedly won that game. Uh, yep, it is uh, it is Liverpool that win that one. Um, should mention too, Trent Alexander Arnold his thirty eighth assist in the Premier League since making his Premier League debut. JJ, no other defender's been involved in more goals than the Liverpool fullback. Forty seven, nine goals, twenty eight assists. It's uh, it's absolutely incredible for the age he is, the things he's done, and like I said before. 
he. Oh, I'm sorry, nine goals, 38 assists. To call uh, yeah. to call him a, a fullback is is kind of weird. The fullback position has been completely transformed by him and others, um, but particularly by him. It's it's amazing. He's a joy to watch. Uh, one other note on this, because only I was just looking for this while you were speaking, because um, I had seen this stat. You mentioned how Arsenal have struggled specifically at Anfield. Mm. Uh, that is not just a figment of your imagination. Liverpool have scored three or more goals in seven straight Premier League games versus uh, Arsenal at Anfield. It's not good. <laughs> no. No. In fact, Liverpool have 101 goals against Arsenal in Premier League history. Only Newcastle um, have Liverpool scored more against 105 uh, in terms of single opponent. I'd love to see how that's weighted towards the end, towards the towards last... recently. Recently, yeah. Well, in the, across those seven games that I just mentioned where Liverpool... Um, what what Liverpool scored three or more in seven straight... Yeah. I think they've outscored them 21 to 7. Yeah. I think. I'd have to check... I'd have to recheck the math. Uh, but yeah, it's... It's not good. No. Uh, and it, it For a club of Arsenal stature, knowing that they're coming to Anfield, you're kind of licking your lips. You don't rate them. At uh, at the Emirates, it's been trickier, but yeah, when they come to Anfield, you're ready for a shellacking. Uh, Manchester City, pretty comprehensive beating of Everton. Um, and with it, maybe my new nominee for assist of the season. Cancelo. <sighs> Outside of the boot. <laughs> perfect arc. Perfect weight. And like... Sterling just had to kind of just run on stand it. there and put his foot out and like Cancelo, that's a good finish mind uh, all right but like Cancelo did all the work for him but I, I have you seen the view of it from behind Cancelo yeah I I've stopped it I've watched it I, 20 times I've stopped it and I I don't see the pass what do you mean I, I don't see like if it's me right before he hits it uh, oh I see okay. I don't see what he's seeing and it's brilliant it's it's just so skillful. If I did it, it would have... He is a great player. Yeah, superb passer of the ball. Look out for Man City. That that gave you the feelings, didn't it? Absolutely, it did. Yeah, there's another moment for the weekend that gave me strong feelings oh. too. Sensual feelings. Okay, well, we'll continue on now. Chelsea keep their lead atop the league. Well, a lot of Americans got the feeling when Christian Pulisic came on and scored. They did, Um Chelsea were so good in this game. Passed the ball, moved the ball. Could have been a much larger margin of victory, Andrew. And, um, I mean, they had two goals ruled out in the last 20 minutes. Mm. And uh, one of them was scored by Rhys James. It was actually a shame the flag went up. It was such a good move. God, another fullback. There's a mm. lot of fullbacks just... They're not fullbacks anymore. We need... Well, what do you call them? Uh, we need something else. Winger? I well, mean, that I is mean, they are the new, position. They are but... the new wingers, I guess. I mean, wing-backs doesn't really do it for me either. I want a new name, Andrew, and I want you to work on it. He is fantastic. And both of them, I mean, Ben Showell has also been great for Chelsea yeah. you know, since he's gotten himself back into the starting eleven. And then they got Marcus Alonso just sitting on the bench. I mean, they're, they're, they're loaded, my friend. They are, uh, that was, by the way, it was Christian Pulisic's 15th uh, career Premier League goal. Okay. So, All right, consider, considering the amount of time he spent on the, on the, uh, in the rehab room, that's pretty good. Uh, Leicester, it must be said, were very poor, though, Andrew. They were shocking. <laughs> they were bad. Uh, it doesn't take away from Chelsea's performance. Chelsea are beating them anyway with the way that Chelsea played. But that is concerning. And I'm wondering if we're hitting the point that Manny feel happens with tremendous character when Brendan Rodgers' teams hit a ceiling. Could he be the interim? 
He's too good to be he's an interim. He's not going to. He's, not, he's way too accomplished to be an interim. Yeah. He would never go in for well, he no, was, I, You know what? I, I'm sorry. I apologize, everyone. That was a dumb suggestion. But his name is on the, the full-time list. Yeah, yeah. But now I think that's significantly damaged and hampered by the way Leicester are playing right now. You know, they. it's the same. It, it's not exactly the same reason, but it's the reason why Manchester United aren't going to hire, you know, Graham Potter. They're not going to hire someone from someone so many leagues below them in the table. Or, well, not actually that many not, leagues below right no, now. But no. you know what I mean in terms of stature. I don't think they're going to hire the Leicester City manager with their current position right now. A couple things on Chelsea that I wanted to mention. First off, I think one of the things that separates a, a championship, and I don't mean that in terms of the tier, I mean like a title-winning club we got you. from the rest, is that you know these are the teams that win on the road for whatever Leicester's form are I still look at Leicester City as a good team you know right now Chelsea 5-0-1 they've left they've yet to lose on the road currently a nine game unbeaten streak across all competitions they don't lose uh, away from home and I think that's something that title winning teams do Um, and in addition to that uh, they really haven't I mean maybe they've had a couple draws uh, what was it they they just had a 1-1 before the international break with Burnley, I think it was. But, you know, that aside, since the Lukaku injury and Timo Werner, I know he's back as well, but not really starting for them just yet, they didn't really miss a beat. No, and but again, they're, I wouldn't say uniquely because Manchester City are probably in a similar position, but there's very few other clubs they can call on the attacking firepower that they have when they lose their new centre-forward like that. It's... You know, stacked, loaded. There's not really much more you can say about them other than that they've got the tools to absorb a, a loss like Lukaku. It's it's really good. Yeah, they are uh, as expected. They are scary good right now. Uh, one other game I wanted to mention: the Javiera begins at Barcelona. Oh no, no, oh. no! <laughs> what I can't mention that. Who you can, of course, but um, patience, my friend. There's a couple of things I wanted to mention in England before we get to Spain. So you're going to tell me whatever you're about to say is more important than Barcelona. No, but I want to do it sequentially. We are geographically. We'll finish with England and then we'll go to Spain. Okay? I didn't know there were rules, but go ahead. Uh, Stevie G gets his Villa managerial career off to a winning start. Uh, Not the greatest game in the world. Uh, The XG was Aston Villa 0.59, Brighton 0.29, but Mm. 2-0 win for Aston Villa. Very good start for him. He looks the part there on the sideline. Fascinated to see how he will do. Really fascinated. Uh, Brentford led twice at Newcastle United but could only share the points in a 3-3 thriller. Uh, Ivan Tony equalising and kissing the Brentford badge in front of the Newcastle fans who promptly booed a guy who barely kicked a ball for them. He had two appearances and then they put him out on loan and then eventually shoveled him off to Peterborough. Like, why the boos? Like, he kissed the badge... And he said, oh, I have nothing but love for Newcastle afterwards. I well, w- look, that surprises you. I mean, I'm not saying he was brought there to be any kind of savior by any stretch, but he was a player that they bought who was disappointing. And so that's what you do to players who disappointed you. All right. Uh, and who would have put Burnley Palace down as a potential rip-roaring tie? Another yeah. 3-3, Andrew. Uh, but it was 3-2 at half time, which tells you that's a heck of a game. And then Maxwell Cornet with the... Potential goal of the season, a sensual volley that I just absolutely adored. Now, and only now, may you go to Spain. I'm glad we talked about Burnley before we got to Barcelona. That's Uh, important. Yeah, well. Uh, Javi begins with a 1-0 narrow victory, a Memphis Depay penalty. Dodgy penalty. 
It felt as if the referee was just, look, I need to kickstart this narrative that Barca are back and Xavi, etc., etc. Wow, that is quite ah, a no, statement. No, 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 no. You can see how it might have been given, but I'm not giving it. I thought it was soft, really soft. Um, according to uh, ESPN, they have the list of Xavi's new rules. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, because we were on international break when this was released... A lot of people want your thoughts on them in particular. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because they see you as a disciplined daddy. <laughs> but more than that, they want to know what absolute, if you had any absolute rules, if you were manager of a football club, that you would... Re- well, you know mine. No outswingers. Right, but wait, hang on. Oh. Let's read his first and then let's get to yours. Um, so these are going to be strictly enforced and fines will be issued to any player who doesn't abide by the new guidelines. The rules are staff must be two hours early to training. That feels obscene, but I also don't know what the norm <laughs> is. But to me, that feels just like, what are you... Andrew rocking in with an egg sandwich in one hand, cones in the other and a bag of balls. I'm here, guys, like 10 minutes before the session. Two hours, come on. Yeah, two seems a lot, but there may be planning in that. Players must be 90 minutes early to training. Feels obscene. <laughs> I mean, remember when Tom Coughlin used to say with the Giants, if you're not 10 minutes early, yeah. you're late? What if he had said, if you're not 90 minutes early, you're late? Xavi thinks Coughlin's just a fool. <laughs> Javi would softy softy Coughlin Uh, players must eat at the training ground I like that one all meals Uh, breakfast lunch and dinner so most I don't know what it's like in Spain but they get in in the morning early you to have dinner with your family right no no it would be the lunchtime meal alright well I'm good with that because they're done almost at lunch Uh, that that is totally acceptable um Players will be fine for breaking rules. Okay, it seems like a rule that didn't need to be added as a rule. <laughs> it's like he needed to get to a certain number, so oh, yeah. got to just I gotta add get, one. Got to get to 10. Uh, fines will be doubled for repeat offenses. Like, imagine if one of the Ten Commandments was, like, Commandment 8, don't break the other nine commandments. See Commandment 1. <laughs> <laughs> Moses here, like... Oh, no. hammering them away. I really should get to 10. Listen, if I'm going to put these in stone, I'm going to have 10 of them, okay? I need a nice round number to bring down the mountain to these guys Um, a curfew will be implemented 48 hours before a game most clubs have that in contracts 48 hours 48 hours okay but what does that mean curfew they have to be in at a certain time yeah okay Uh, the team this is another one he was he was struggling the team is a meritocracy All right. I mean every team says this yes we'll find out we'll find out just how real that is (laughs) <laughs> players travel and off-field habits will be monitored what does that mean that is Barcelona becoming like a police state what does that mean off-field habits will be uh, monitored Memphis we we need to talk to you about your off-field habits I would, uh, we've discovered that how should we put this you go in your nose digging for gold <laughs> quite regularly and five times this morning and we want you to stop. That is that just a habit? So, that's got to be a softer way of saying stop drinking so much. You think right? there's a drinking culture at Barcelona? Oh no, I'm just maybe saying, a like, going out culture. I don't know. I have no idea. I'm just saying, like to me, it feels like they don't want to say something like "don't party" to the like computer games. Like, no, I don't know if that maybe would be they're so. on the Sega Mega Drive. To, to me, that feels like a way of telling young guys to not like. Quit partying. Right. Focus on on what's important. And I'm, by the way, that is not me implying that that's what's going on at Barcelona. It just right. feels like something you'd say to prevent that from happening. Players are prohibited from dangerous activities. That makes sense. 
it's in most of their contracts. They I would think, like you know, you know, a lot of guys are like you know, contracts of like no jet skiing, yeah, you know, like yeah, no, no free, no free abseiling down cliffs, you know, yeah, dirt biking. Yeah. Players must maintain a good image. I think he was. I like that. What What in your mind is a good image? Would you say? I mean, stay stay out of trouble. Good image. Yeah. Don't get in trouble with the law. Yeah. We don't want to hear about any sort of you not, know not, nice fights at, at yeah. clubs or something like that or yeah. like you know. Nice side I, parting in your hair. I did not take it. No, I don't take it as like a what your visually your visual appearance is. No tattoos up the neck. That's not how I took it. You would be, that would be one of your rules. No. Absolutely not. No Penyankas will be one of your no rules. No Penenka, no outswingers. Other than that, do whatever you want. Okay. Those are Andy's rules. That's it. I have two rules. I'm a very simple man to please. Rule 10, see rule 1. That's right. Interesting. Um, also wanted to mention, with regards to Barcelona, like we talked about, some uh, some terribly unfortunate news. So Sergio Aguero had to leave Barcelona's match against Alaves with I mean you could see the discomfort in his face he was mm. kind of clutching his his chest and came to find out afterwards that he was um having a had a heart condition an arrhythmia is is what I had seen attributed to it AS are reporting it as a cardiac arrhythmia and um, the gravity of the situation is that it's a something some of those you hear players can continue but that this one is not one that he can continue so at the time of recording this nothing has been made 100% official just yet but there are widely circulating reports that he is going to announce his retirement this week which is I mean he's still a a relatively young player 33 years old um, and it's very sad that uh, his career is going to have to end this way now look he's made countless amount of money and yeah. if, if doing this will allow him to live a, a fulfilling life with his family then of course it's what you do but like he's a young guy and a, and he can still do this at a high level I mean he's doing it at Barcelona and Argentina uh, with a World Cup on the horizon like you can't help he seems like a good dude and you can't help even if he's a bad dude you know, I, I find myself feeling bad for no, him it's, he, uh, it's sad Someone in their early 30s, an athlete in still you could quantify as his peak years. He's at Barcelona, so of course it's his peak years. Um, he should be able to make that decision when he wants to quit. And the fact yeah. he's the fact that his body has told him this is it is um, is tough. But long life, long health to him is much more important. An absolute stone cold legend. I don't know when the next round of because uh, doesn't the Premier League have the Hall of Fame going now? Well, they've started it and uh, first ballot. Yeah. Lock. Straight in. Um, just a couple of the numbers here to put it all in perspective. JJ Aguero, 181 career Premier League goals, all with Manchester City. That's fourth most in Premier League history and the most by a foreign born player. Uh, he also holds the Premier League record for most hat tricks with 12, uh, breaking uh, Alan Shearer's record. And he's second all time in Premier League uh, in the Premier League in 20 goal seasons. Just goes to show that is that is high level consistency. Uh, to have that record. Do you know, uh, so he's second. Do you know who number one is with seven 20-goal seasons? Seven 20-goal seasons. It's not Shearer. It is Shearer. Okay. He's first. Aguero, uh, like I said, second with How six many? of those. Harry then, Kane should have a... So here's, if you want to guess, we can do that. So Tell there me. are, um, in total, there are five guys that have done it four or more times. We've already said Shearer with seven, Aguero with six. Then one guy's done it five times and two guys have done it four times. Henri. Henri has done it five times. Can. He's done it four. 
Um, who's the other one I'm looking for? Lampard. No. Okay. Rude Van Nisselrooy. Oh, yeah. should have got that one. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, Sergio Aguero. And there's just absolutely no way, no way that we were getting out of this without reliving this moment one more time. It's finished at Sunderland. Manchester United have done all they can. That Rooney goal was enough for the three points. Manchester City are still alive here. Balotelli. Aguero! I swear you'll never see anything like this ever again. So watch it. Drink it in. Sergio Aguero, what a player, what a career. Props to him, man. Still one of the great all-time calls. Oh, absolutely. And before we leave All Matters uh, Premier League, uh, a new Premier League TV contract has been hammered out. Uh, the Premier League seals 2 billion US television, 2 billion pounds sterling, 2.8 billion dollars in US television rights deals with NBC to 2028. NBC is paying almost double the amount of its existing contract and uh, the Guardian are reporting that the league is to filter 1.6 billion down the pyramid over the next three years. So that was kind of amazing news that came out. Uh, there was a somewhat something of a bidding war um, with other uh, networks involved. Some entering in combinations to have split, big name networks. Big name networks to have split rights. We heard ESPN, CBS, mm-hmm. Fox, Warner. Um, but in the end, the NBC deal was enormous. Now, I've seen reports that the Premier League turned down less money from other TV uh, co- companies here. I don't believe that. I don't, why would they? It wouldn't make sense. And what I've heard from, from someone with knowledge of it said that the the NBC, he used the term overpaid, but we know what that means is basically they blew everybody else out of the water. Other reports said NBC were really aggressive meaning that whatever it took to keep the rights for the Premier League uh, at their network, that's what they did. I would say soccer fans should view this as, I mean, look, ultimately, the, NBC's not paying that money for a, a property that they don't believe is valuable. valuable. Yeah. Um, so, like, you know... Anyone who, who still wants to peddle the notion that this sport isn't going to succeed in this country is it's nonsense. Is living in a in a in a world that is no longer reality. I was in two separate institutions, bars uh, at the weekend. So on Saturday to see Arsenal Liverpool, I was at the Monroe. The bar was full mm-hmm. with Liverpool fans for people people I don't usually see. Every every single one of them wearing a shirt or some kind of apparel. And uh, then I was in banter in Williamsburg after my soccer match on Sunday morning. And there was a ton. It wasn't full, but there was a ton of Tottenham fans in there. Mm. And, you know, you think of the wider implications for the sport here in in America. um, I I think the thing I came out of it with just those two experiences, they absolutely, the Premier League is ubiquitous now. And it is the soccer league that's watched in America. Um, It is the major one. What does that mean for our domestic game? I don't know, but I know that interest is a huge thing. And, you know, if you're an MLS executive looking at that, you're thinking, this is probably not great for our TV viewing 
this is probably not great for for what interest in the sport generally is well, good. Well, look, MLS will always have one huge advantage over the Premier League, and that is its locality, it, its availability to attend in person. I mean, like that, MLS has done a very good job of enhancing the game day experience on site. All these new stadiums have been built. Mm. Um, you know, the bar in San Jose. The fact you can go to a game right, like makes that, a big difference. That is the advantage that, that is just inherent to being here um, that the Premier League obviously can't compete with because they're not local. They're in England. Um, so MLS, I think, will always... Like, everyone you hear that attends MLS games, you see the atmospheres, uh, and it's, it's, it is successful. But and, I think and fans love it. But, I, in, but from a TV perspective... Uh, yeah, I think in terms of television audience, the Premier League is is where it's at. And, and look, some of that, the Premier League also has a built-in advantage. You know, MLS right now is in their postseason, and they got games going up against you know NFL broadcasts on a Sunday. Like that's that's not like a lot of soccer fans also love other sports. <laughs> I'm one of them. You're one of them. Uh, Timing wise, yeah. So like the Premier League doesn't really have. Now, look, if you live in California, yeah, I mean, that's 7.30 a.m. Eastern time is 4.30 for you, so that kind of sucks. But, like, in terms of, of competition, the Premier League is kind of not really fighting against anyone. They've got that – they've got the morning to themselves. Um, MLS doesn't have that. They're battling with every other sport in this country for eyeballs. So, you know, that's something that has been difficult for MLS to contend with, and the Premier, the Premier League has that advantage. I come from a country where the uh, – just like here – the domestic league is not the major watched soccer league. Mm-hmm. It, it's the one that's in England, and I see the parallels here as well. It's um, it's it's an interesting thing, but it it doesn't take away from the fact that it's a massively popular sport now here, and it's cemented. No doubt, no doubt about that. Trajectory is only upward, my friend. Uh, we're gonna go ahead. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we're gonna talk about that domestic league, not the one in Ireland that you were talking about. No, no, no. We're gonna talk about MLS. Postseason got underway over the weekend with some really compelling games, some great goals. Uh, it was a fun, fun weekend in MLS in the postseason. We got a mailbag as well. Still a lot to do. Don't go anywhere. More caught offside still to come. down to Marcus Rashford against Gianluigi Buffon. How's your bottle? Oh, he smashed it in! Don't let him tell you that he wasn't a legend. There were good days. There were good days. What what a beautiful montage there. Just a little little snippets that I asked for. Yeah. That I put together in my mind. I thought, what could I do that's nice for Ollie? And I thought I picked the two moments that spanned his playing and managerial career set to Oasis's slide away. Yeah. So don't ever tell me. No, never. This, that this, you're right. This undoes all of the other things. That was all it took. I can be balanced. I can be impartial. How dare you? Let's talk about MLS. <sighs> JJ, what a weekend. What a way. What a weekend for you. By the way, there's, the Reddit animals want you to be renamed Old Union-y Andy. I mean, it doesn't really flow. Um, but it's true. If you want to find a better way of putting it, I'm all for it. I mean, look, it's it's one of those moments. I, I know that it. Look, it's not the history of English clubs that have been around since the 1800s. I get that. But, like, if you were watching that game... 
then you were watching the greatest goal in the history of a club, of their entire existence. I mean, that is, that's what it was. It was one of those unforgettable moments that Philadelphia Union fans will never forget the rest of their lives. Uh, and I've seen that place electric for other moments, certainly against the Red Bulls in the playoffs a couple years ago, the 4-3. Yeah, that a great epic, game. Incredible game. I have never seen it look like that. That was, you know, you talk about limbs and bouncing and like noise camera noise and cameras that like can't stabilize themselves because like what they're on is shaking from the vibration like that's that's what you got with that goal uh here's what it sounded like the legend jp della camera on the call first man on it here is bueno left foots it back to martinez two venezuelans together third out glestis Fires! Glasses goal! Oh, that roar. By that the w- roar. That's almost Scottish Lungs roar. Ah, it's not, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it echoed into the night. It rattled the... Com- was it Commodore Barry Bridge? Yeah. Yeah. Our um, favorite Commodore. <laughs> uh, Commodore 64, probably. If we're going to rank the Commodores. I'm, ba- I'm a Barry man, but all right, fine. Um... Did you not think the volley, was, it was a great volley, super volley, and it had such a lovely dip on it. Yeah. But didn't it look kind of weird? Like he's dang, it was like go-go gadget long leg. It's like <laughs> he set it up and it was just a bit, I thought it was too far. And I thought it was, he hit it with the top of his foot. But he caught, no, look, he caught it perfectly and it flew in. I'm not questioning that. But when I saw it, I thought, wow, he has incredibly long legs. It was one of the rare moments where... Because you can hear it in that clip, I'll gladly play it again if uh, if you would like to. No, hear it. we good. Oh, okay, we good. Um, but it was one of the rare moments when an entire stadium you can hear when the ball comes to him is screaming shoot. Not just because the clock is ticking down and we're in the final seconds, but also because this guy has a history yes. of doing this. LAFC, Atlanta United FC, from that spot. Right. And so, like, it's one of the rare moments when the crowd is screaming shoot, and the guy does it. And scores an unbelievable goal. Usually the player, oftentimes those just like devolve into just like a, a sideways pass or something or a guy fires it into like out of the stadium. Not this one. Everyone in the stadium wanted it. He delivered. Greatest goal in their history. And, it, and to send your rivals packing that way, to end their season like that. And I'll say this too. And, and look, the Red Bulls had some chances uh, as well. Um, but just foc- focusing on the union for a sec. Um if they don't, if the, let's say Glesnes misses that, goes to penalties, Union lose, it is such a horrifying loss with some of the opportunities that the Union had in the latter stages of this game. You could tell, you know, not a, this was not a memorable game from minute one to around the 80s. Right. And then the Red Bulls started to tire, I thought, and then the bulk of the chances started to go the Union's way. The game got better in extra time. Yes, because I think one of the teams was t- more tired than yeah. the other one. Shabilko had a chance when Sergio Santos played uh, played it into him. And he hit it straight at the keeper. No, he hit. I think he hit it uh, over. Oh, yes. I think he hit it over. Then uh, the one that was straight at the keeper in, in extra time, Sergio Santos had it centered to him and uh, took it first time straight at the keeper. Uh, that one, I mean, uh, he's got a score. He has like, to. He's got to score that. And then I mentioned earlier in the show, the 117th minute, kind of a loose ball in front. All of a sudden, oh my God, Corey Burke is seven yards out by himself. Fires it wide. Keeper bearing down on him, so I get that, I suppose, but got a score. Like, the Union had 
Uh, I'll, maybe I'll forgive the Shabilko one from got a score level, but the Santos one and the Burke one got a score. Utah and Utah because when you when you we've all seen enough games like the team that misses those chances they always lose in penalties. And but, also your disposition as a person is to expect that look right. It's not like we're going to get more chances. We're going to lose because we've missed all these chances. Right, that is basically That's how the soccer happening. gods operate. Yeah, um, someone did a FIFA card for you. Uh, Old Spurzy Andy, um, hope forty percent, <laughs> optimism thirty five percent, glee twenty seven. No, that's not fair. I'm a gleeful guy. Axes ninety, patience ninety six. Yeah, weird yeah. body syndrome ninety nine. Uh, I thrive in that category. <laughs> what a game, though. I, well, what a finish, I should say. Jacob Glesnus and those. I, I must have gone back and like I watched the highlight a solid forty five times, but like. Eventually, that wasn't good enough anymore, and so I had to find like the videos that people take themselves from within the stadium. I never, I'll say it again, I've never seen that place look like that. It was, it was really something. Uh, JJ, moving on, Sporting Kansas City, they advance as uh, predicted by you, I believe. Yeah, it was exactly what I thought it would be from Peter Vermees' team. I say exactly, they went one nil down. But at the same time, uh, it was comfortable in the end. And Zeus Dog. Zeus Dog! And Zeusy. Playing in his 19th playoff game. That's the ball right there. Shallowy brings it down and cuts centrally. And he finds Zussi. Zussi can have a hit from here. He does. And Graham Zussi! Oh, it just leathered it. What a rocket. And I'd forgotten how good a striker of a ball he was. I've forgotten how I liked him when he played for the U.S. Women's National Team because he could cross the ball well and he could pass the ball well. Forgotten all those things. What I had not forgotten is that at one point in the history of this podcast, we had people going up to him and shouting Zeus Dog at him. Yeah. We created something. You you made Zeus Dog a thing. Uh, it's, it'll be on my tombstone. Yeah. And it was great to see him do that because if you're going to... Look... The defense, definitely the Vancouver defense, let him kind of advance with the ball and it wasn't great and all that. Probably should close him out. Yes. I'm not trying to say that like making fun of them. Uh, like just. Yeah. But he, he leathers it and it's such a it's such a brilliant strike. Um, yeah. Superb, superb goal. And uh, on they go. Yeah. Sporting KC are going to be tricky for whoever. Yeah, they're they're very good. Uh, yeah. And they fly. You know, we've talked about how they fly under the radar, um, but. There they are, advancing on in the postseason. They will be a difficult opponent for sure. JJ, uh, NYCFC, uh, I don't know. I guess some deserving winners, certainly. But like sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. Here's John Champion on the call. This is towards Castellanos. Oh, a complete confusion and hesitation leads to an amazing goal. I'm glad he clarified. So, just for anyone, it's a short corner. The ball comes into the box and it bounces in front of Tati Castellanos and he leathers it into the ground. He volleys it into the ground and it goes up, up, up in the air. Uh, Brad Guzan watches it, doesn't move. There's nobody on the line. Bello watches it go into the net. He doesn't make it pl- attempt to play. I guess they thought it was going over the bar. They must have. They lost it in the lights. They did what JJ did. You know, if I was on the line, it would have hit me in the cheek. Yeah. Um, and there we go. It, it it ended up in the net, and the second goal wasn't that much better. No, no. Ball off the crossbar, pops down, nodded home. Uh, NYCFC deserved to win the game. Don't get me wrong. It's particularly on the second, obviously on the second half showing, but. 
Joseph Martinez had an opportunity where it was I, a weak shot. I know what you're saying, Andrew. If that first touch is is more central, he's one v one and he's going to slot that past Sean Johnson. It takes him to the side. He's forced to shoot. And Atlanta didn't have that many great opportunities. No. NYCFC go through, and that was um, that was badly needed by them. It's a good uh, good for Ronnie Dahlia, and um, we'll see where they go from there. Yeah, this snaps a three-game losing streak at home in MLS playoff play. Now, New England is going to be... Well, it's going to be tough. Very tough on the road. But, you know, they needed to win their first game, and they have. Both goals uh, coming off of set pieces. Hugely important in all cup competitions. Yeah, and they, and they worked them well. However fluky the... The goals were ultimately in the way that they went in. The second one wasn't fluky. So, no, second I mean, one was kind of, but it pops not, up off the crossbar and Atlanta do nothing again. Callens is right there, right? But yeah, no, and they his, just, his and his whether or not he was going to play was kind of in doubt. NYCFC, props to them. I mean, look, we can talk about fluky goals, but like you said, they pretty much held Atlanta United FC in check throughout. They and, did, and they're dealing with injuries like yeah, Keaton Parks. Like they, they're dealing with a lot of injuries, and so they're they've advanced. Like that's that's well done. They deserve it. I I won't be, I won't be bitter about them advancing. Uh, Atlanta consecutive defeats in MLS playoff play for the first time in their short history. Maybe need to do a little bit of retooling down in the uh, in the dirty dirty south. And uh, last but not least, JJ. Well, we. Uh, one of us, uh, we both did. We both go two for two so far. There's, I mean, there's two more, but uh, two more games to be played tomorrow night. Yeah, we, we we don't know yet. So far, we're we're on course for perfect. Scores. I had the uh, the Portland game, and I mentioned a certain Sebastian Blanco as uh, being an important presence. Well, he certainly was that. His time is almost up. This is Blanco. Yes. Simply irresistible, Sebastian Blanco. Is turning it on. Some caviar soccer in Cascadia from the Argentine. Great goal. Bunch of, maybe not in the NYCFC game, but each of the other games gave you something in terms of great goals. Well, both of Blanco's goals were brilliant, I thought. He's I great. thought the first one where he, you know, he has to swivel on it and great, get a volley away, bottom corner, and obviously that goal was a brilliant strike. Superb player. So when this, healthy, he is among the best players in this and league. And he's suffered one significant and serious injury, and he's come back well from it. So, And look, we talked about, when we were previewing the Orlando City uh, game, which is still to come, we talked about this idea of sometimes in playoff matchups, you can talk about tactics and whatever, but like, oftentimes it comes down to your best player doing something great and, and leading his team to a victory. And I think you know, you've got some of that with Sebastian Blanco. He scored twice in this game, and uh, he can be that guy. You know, this is this is his team now for all intents and purposes. There's no more, you know, Diego Valeri. It's not his team anymore. This is this is Sebastian Blanco's team. They will be. We talk about teams that could be tricky moving forward. You mentioned Sporting Kansas City, Portland too. Oh yeah. This is a a very experienced team, uh, a very talented team, and uh, they will not be an easy out. Certainly not. Uh, so a, a rip roaring start to the MLS postseason. And uh, it continues. the uh, The first round culminates tomorrow night. Two more games still on the slate. So, uh, or Tuesday, whenever whenever you're listening to this, it's Tuesday night. So, yeah, good stuff so far in Major League Soccer. Mailbag to close out, JJ. Mail busy. Caught offside pod at gmail dot com is the email. Caught offside ESPN on Instagram and at CO Soccer Pod on Twitter. If you don't follow us on Twitter or Instagram, and you listen to the podcast, and you are on those platforms. That's not acceptable. Follow us at CO Soccer Pod Twitter. 
Caught offside ESPN on Instagram. After this, this is from Justin in Fall River. After this round of CONCACAF World Cup qualifying, who is the best player in the region now? I This came in on Friday as I was watching the Bundesliga game between Augsburg and Bayern Munich mm-hmm. as I realised that Augsburg were winning and I could take joy in it. And even in a defeat, uh, Alfonso Davies was just dynamic and brilliant and I think he's the best player. I think he's the answer to that question. Yes. Um, thoughts on Canada and Mexico quickly? We didn't get a chance to discuss it. What a scene. Unbelievable scene. Um, I, I don't know who the player was for Canada, but I think it was on the second goal from Kyle Lahren when they celebrated in the corner. And he dives. And one of the guys just goes flying into a snowbank in like shorts and a short sleeve shirt. I was like, boy, you must be running on adrenaline right now because that would hurt. How, how horrific was the field though? It was brutal, man. Yeah. You could see the football lines coming through it. It was frozen. It looked frozen. Uh, Canada adapted well to it. I didn't, don't think Mexico didn't adapt well either. They, they got their goal, but Canada were the better team and they totally deserved they it. The atmosphere was unbelievable. Yeah. And they're top now. Yeah. Amazing. That's going to be a fun one for the U.S. going there. It's, it's building up nicely. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I do think that the end, I, I agree. The answer to that question is, to me, is, is Alfonso Davies. I'm just trying to think right now off the top of my head. Who? So who are your other contenders? Serginho Dest. Uh, when fit. I, for, I mean, for me, I put Pulisic, Pulisic's my guy from the U.S. Yeah. Like, he's he is who I would submit. Um, okay. Chucky and Lozano. Chucky Lozano, uh, or as the commentators call him, Chucky. Chucky Lozano. Um, he would be my, my submission from Mexico. I don't know if anybody would say Raul Jimenez, Hector Herrera. Um, Raul Jimenez pre-injury, certainly. Yeah. I don't know. I think Alfonso Davies play, playing at that level for that team in the Champions League and playing as well as he does regularly. Yeah. Shout out Miles Robinson, though. Secret <laughs> submission. Um, quick one here. In neutral matches, this is from Reddit. In neutral matches, do you guys cheer players who've been transferred from your club? So in games where your team's not involved, do you cheer on ex-players? Uh, depends. So Yeah, it depends on how I felt about the player. I'll say this. When I watch Belgium, like I am... Very pro Vertong and Alderweireld. Uh, mm. Like I don't want them to make a mistake when I when I watch oh, Belgium okay. play. Uh, so I I yeah I get some of that. But like there are some like if I saw like Vincent Janssen playing, I'd be like, uh, nah, no, that's all right. <laughs> but yeah, there's definitely times. Um, even Watford, like I don't want to see Musa Sissoko play poorly. Like I still enjoy like a yeah. lot of guys like that. So okay. yeah, you know what. It depends on the guy, but yeah, I, I do feel that way. I think it's guy-dependent as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, another one from Reddit. Whatever happened to the My Ancestor Was From Leeds dude? So this is, I wonder if he's still listening. Uh, Greetings, animals. I may have had too much to drink this evening, but the topic of ancestry <laughs> has come up among my friends, and that reminded me of my favorite mailbag pod story of all. The Man United fan who wanted to switch teams because his great-great-grandpa lived in Leeds. If the person who wrote that is on this sub-reddit, I humbly plead that you respond. I need to know whether you switched or not. I personally assume that you didn't since Andrew and JJ basically bullied you for even suggesting such a thing. But if you did switch, I'd very much like to hear your take on Bielsa and the general worry around Leeds these days. Thanks in advance. Oh, yeah, I, w- I want to hear about that one. My Boy. aunt. Yeah. 
Yeah, that I we remember, never got a reply from. That. I remember that. Uh, I, I my guess is this that was a guy who didn't want to be a Manchester United fan anymore. <laughs> and I, my guess is he ignored us. He was looking for a way. He out. He wanted a way out. My guess is that he ignored us and any switch teams. But we'll never really know. Boy, the the second half of that game, Tottenham just took it to another level and just. I mean, it, it, they only got two, and it was you know in the end it's a two one. But uh, yeah, I thought I thought Tottenham in that in the second half of that game were uh, Tottenham in the first half is what you got to worry about because they thought yeah. Leeds were the better side. Um, but but uh, I enjoyed that game actually. Uh, the animals also want to know uh, at or forward slash cut offside pod discussing recommendations we've given on the podcast in the past. Have you any new ones? So I saw this actually. Sometimes I get the uh, the alerts. Reddit, yeah, things get sent to my email, and so I saw this came up, and I wanted to address it because I saw somebody ask specifically about Band of Brothers. Which anyone who listens to this podcast for Love any it. length of time know that it's it's my favorite thing of all time it's not a movie it's a miniseries but like whatever any form of entertainment it's my favorite thing i've ever seen and so somebody asked because roger bennett of men in blazers fame mm. has been hosting the 20th anniversary podcast on band of brothers for oh, yeah? hbo and so i obviously being the fan that i am of band of brothers i listened to the podcast it was if you are like me someone who loved that series the podcast is phenomenal highly recommend giving it a listen uh, you know, Tom Hanks is on it. Basically, like all all of like the main characters, a few aside, like David Schwimmer wasn't there, but Damian Lewis, Ron Livingston. Uh, each episode, kind of whoever the focal character was from that episode. It's like a rewatchables for every Band of Brothers episode, okay. hosted by Roger Bennett. And I loved it. I wish, that, I mean, there's ten. There was there were eleven episodes uh, of the podcast because they did kind of like a prologue one with Tom Hanks. But I wish there were more. I'm bummed that it's done. So I'm going back and rewatching the show as I do every year. But uh. Yeah, that's not really like a new recommendation. No, but it's but it's uh, yeah, God, it's solid I just man. Love that show. I'm, I might and, the even, po- and the podcast was great. Highly recommend it. I think I li- I listened to that podcast because I absolutely adored that. I might rewatch and listen to that podcast. You should. Good stuff. Uh, the only other one I have is Dope Sick on uh, Hulu, which is the story of the um, people behind the opioid crisis in America. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Purdue Pharma. Is that with Michael Keaton? Yes. Okay. And he's he's so good in it. He's great. It's really good, but yeah. it's. It's it, the historical aspect and the detail is really horrifying. Okay. But it's 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 a good watch. I just watched a movie actually that I, on my flight to Denver. I, I texted you about it. Mighty Ducks. Yes. No. Yeah. No. Uh, on Netflix. Oh man, what was it called? It's a World War Two movie. Oh, yeah. Basically about Norway, their role in the start of World War Two and how they handled it, and um, it's on Netflix. Uh, I don't remember what it's called. Sadly. But uh, while you're talking, yeah, I'll try it, to find it. Should, yeah, I texted it to you. I thought I really thought it was very good. Yeah. Uh, Christian wants to know uh, via Instagram, any chance you fellas could chat, give some light to the fan issues in League Ah, uh, with Pyatt getting hit with a bottle this weekend. Appreciate you a ton. Keep up the stellar pot. Thank you. BBC reporting that Sunday's Ligue 1 game between Lyon and Marseille was abandoned after Dimitri Payet was hit by a bottle thrown from the stands. Five minutes into the game, the teams were sent into the dressing room by referee Rudy Bouquet, and after a long wait, Marseille's players never returned. Almost two hours after the game was halted, it was officially called off. It is the second time this season that Payet has been struck with a bottle Unbelievable. amid a series of incidents in French football. I think I would like to do a in the club, but I would go in the league with this. In les clubs? In in uh, in Le Club, Dan's Le Club, 
just to find out exactly what's going on because it's not one thing or the other. Now, I think hitting Payet, because he's been hit once already, it's probably among French French soccer ultras, it's probably a, a very coveted um, thing to do to try and hit him again. <laughs> That's what I would think. What, like some kind of copycat? Yeah, there, were, there was some report I read that, there, that he was, uh, which is much worse than being hit with a bottle in my view he, that he had received racial abuse um, but we have to get to the bottom of it and we need a guest to give us because there's it's more than one fan base acting up it's more than one group who are um, acting this way yeah. and and I, I, I'd like to get to the bottom of it so maybe we'll, we'll try and set that up sticking in France uh, many of you want us to comment on a frankly continually developing story coming out of PSG uh, their women team, in, spe- in spe- uh, specifically, Paris Saint-Germain's women's soccer player arrested in attack on teammate. This was during the international break too. Midfielder Amanita Diallo was arrested in an investigation into allegations of assault last week on teammate Kira Hamaroy, who was said to have been hit with iron bars. Mm. Um, the player, midfielder Amanita Diallo, was taken into police custody as part of an investigation. Following an assault last Thursday evening against the club's players, the club said in a statement it did not name the injured player. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain went on to condemn this, obviously. Uh, Diallo replaced her injured teammate, Kira Hamroy, for a European Champions League game uh, Tuesday, this is two weeks ago now, against Real Madrid. The French sports newspaper L'Equipe was the first to report that the arrest was in connection with a violent attack on Hamroy, a PSG midfielder, last Thursday. After a team dinner organised by PSG, Hamroy was in a car driven by Diallo when two masked men are alleged to have appeared around 10.30pm, pulled her from the passenger seat and hit her in the legs with an iron bar, the newspaper reported. The assault lasted a few minutes and the attackers fled. L'Equipe reported, citing sources familiar with the incident. This uh, report was on uh, NBC. This is obviously horrific that this happened. Uh, And it's the kind of thing where, like, Diallo, her involvement. I don't understand how you can think that this won't come back to you. Yeah. We have seen Tanya Harding. <laughs> We've seen how that whole thing played out. But just in general, like, this, so this is going to happen. It's going to be an extremely high-profile crime. Yes. This is PSG's women's team. This is a big deal that something like this would happen to presumably one of their star players. It's not just going to go away. This is going to be investigated. So, like, how, what do you think the end game is here? That you suddenly just, like, benefit. You're the one who benefits, so there might be eyebrows raised right out of the gate. It's absolutely crazy, though, isn't it? I mean, of we, course don't, it is. we don't hear about this kind of thing. You know what? I take that back. I said on Twitter, I've never heard of anything like this, like being organized, like where you get someone else to do the injury to well, your team. Tanya Harding, Nancy Kerrigan was that, that. That's the one. It was Sean Eckerd and Jeff Galuli. <laughs> I think about them daily. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. I really no, shouldn't laugh. No, it was laugh. horrific. But um, it is horrific. So I kind of got up on my high horse about this. Not high horse, but you I You live up there. I, I love that horse. Uh, but I kind of suggested this doesn't happen regularly in soccer. But I thought about an incident with two Liverpool players. Early in Klopp's reign, there was an FA Cup game coming up and there was a ton of injuries to the first team. And it was believed Klopp would promote a reserve team player or a U team player to be on the bench or maybe even start. Mm-hmm. 
and a player whose name escapes me admitted on a podcast some years later, I think it was maybe last year or the year before. How many years? Klopp's only been there. Yeah, well, yeah. so it's 2015, so four or five years later, that he deliberately did his teammate, as in did hurt, tackled and injured his teammate. So he'd have a chance to get on the first team, be wow. part of the first team. Uh, the the injured teammate I don't was uh, Darren Cleary, an Irish player, and um, I thought that was despicable of and course. disgusting. Yeah. But I've listened to a few other podcasts since. One um, it's called Under the Cosh, and David Thompson, the former Liverpool midfielder from the mid two thousands, was on it, and he talked about being at Blackburn, and um, he you know. He didn't as much admit to, you know, I went to smash him or to break his leg or do anything. But the intimation in the conversation was that, well, you do whatever you can, you know. Hmm. And I know football's cutthroat, but that is, to me, just, I couldn't do it. Like, I couldn't do it. No. It would be beyond me. Well, that's why you never made it. That's not why I never made it. I oh. never made it because the ball hits me in the face. Now, but in your prime. Oh, I was never in my prime. Prime was just a, just like Manchester United last season, the mirage, Andrew. And that is the mailbag. And that is today's show. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to you, um, Andrew. Same to you. People want to know, are we going to continue the Thanksgiving tradition of watching Europa League games? It's a tradition unlike any other in this country. Gather around the fire to watch... Shakhtar Donetsk, well, not Shakhtar Donetsk, <laughs> but, you know, some team. Dnipro Dipropravesk. Alania Vladikavkaz. Yeah, one of those. Yeah, play in the European competition. We gather around the table and... Yeah, it's just like the Pilgrims did. I was at a Friendsgiving the other night. Sounds We're, horrific. Why? It's Friendsgiving, what is that? It's like a pre-Thanksgiving that you just... Because Thanksgiving, we all go off with our families. Right, so friend. Oh, so it's just drinks and... And like and Thanksgiving food. Oh, just oh. with all your friends. Oh, that's. We were talking about Canada before. I was going to mention this. So, it's a room full of people, roughly our age, like mid to late thirties, and um, you know we'd all been drinking a little bit, certainly. But at one point, like we were playing music. This is at the dinner table, right? Turkey stuffing, everything, nice table, and a Justin Bieber song comes on, and JJ, the hold that he has over, all of a sudden, like it was an unspoken thing. Three women at the table get up and start dancing, and like the whole room is now singing. Uh, the so- like, sorry I- was it or uh, something more uplifting? Is the name of the song "Baby, Baby, Baby"? It's the song <laughs> where he says "Baby" a lot. Oh yeah, that <laughs> so, one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, from from the forthcoming album "Baby." I'm sure you know what I'm talking. Oh, about. Oh yeah, sure. But I was just like, he, this guy has a hold over like population that I can't even it's like they were like hypnotized he's the pipe, they had to do it he's a pied piper for people in their mid 30s it was pretty shy I was like what is I like look I was just eating stuffing and the song came on I didn't think anything oh yeah this song I know this song. I'm like eating I look up and like all of a sudden there's just women dancing everywhere <laughs> it's like well, this is wild and you with a mouthful of stuffing what <laughs> yeah. what? what what are you guys doing <laughs> is this Bieber yeah but anyway happy Thanksgiving to everybody um, we appreciate all of you guys who who have listened to this show. We're thankful for you. We really are. Uh, we really are. And I'm thankful for you as well, my friend. This has continued to be just like a, a joy. So much fun. An so oasis much fun. in the misery that is your existence. 
<laughs> that is not fair. And no, I got it's really not. I need and to, you continue to push that. Uh, yeah, but you push the narrative that I am like arrogant and um, well, maybe you're right. I mean, <laughs> it's not, the shoe fits. Yeah. Okay. Hey, this was a lot of fun though. Happy Thanksgiving. Have a safe, happy holiday to all of you and your families out there. JJ, to you, I say. Take it later, fun boy. See ya. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 